Hi, everybody. It's great to see you joining us online. Uh, welcome. You know, I read some brain research this week. Doesn't that sound impressive? But actually, it was a study about joy, and it said that one of the ways, one of the times we most experience joy is when we feel like someone is glad to see us, and we recognize their face light up when they see us, and what we experience in that moment, neurologically, is joy. And so here we are to worship, y'all. God is happy that you are here joining us wherever you may be, and his face is lighting up. Maybe you can let him see your face today, and also let's create some joy and welcome everyone in at all of our campuses, at all, of, uh, all the people online. Turn to someone, let them see your face a little bit, and smile and create some joy. Okay? This is joy. This is a welcome. Come on, that was a lame welcome. Come on. There you go. Make them feel like you're glad they're here. There you go. That's a little more convincing. You feel like, oh, they are really glad I'm here. Not just because he said clap. You know, so. uh, Lexi is 47 now. Um, she is at a place in her career where she just feels like she's hitting a, a wall. It's not, her job doesn't make her happy at all. And she's single and wonders if she'd be happier if she got married thinks about that a lot. She moved to South Carolina thinking that might help, but really the last couple of years have just been more anxiousness and depression. Her cat died, which for her was bad. And then her father passed away in February, and just about the time she thought, just a couple of years ago, she says, I got to get out and I got I to gotta heal this grief. I got to meet some people. And then the pandemic hit. And it's been one thing after another for, her, for Lexi. Anybody relate to that? Lexi's not alone. You know, people in the U.S. right now are more unhappy today than they've been in nearly 50 years. That's, that should be disturbing. And all the trends in the data and the surveys are moving in the wrong direction. A couple years ago, about a third of us said, yeah, I'm pretty happy, but this new big study from University of Chicago says that barely 10% of us say, yeah, I'm really happy. About half of us say we're flat out sad. Compared to surveys in 1963 when John F. Kennedy was assassinated, compared to surveys when, when Martin Luther King Jr., that was a very tumultuous time, terrible time, there are more people today who are saying, I'm losing my temper, I want to get drunk more often, I'm more lonely, life is not satisfying, I'm less optimistic about the future. But come on, we didn't need a study to tell us that, did we? We kind of knew it. We can see it. And to a large degree, maybe you even... Feel it, right? Maybe you feel it. With all the news and the, the shootings and the war and the market and the politics and the race tension and the stuff you got going on in your own life and all of that stuff, and it just kind of sucks the, the life right out of us. More people in the U.S. unhappy than in a long time. Are you one of them? What's your joy quotient? If you have, everyone's got a joy quotient. How joyful are you? How full of joy? Because everybody's full of something. So how joyful are you? We're, we're beginning a new series here this, uh, last week, and um, we're, we're asking these really big questions like, where are you going? Like your direction in life, or said another way, who are you becoming? Because there are certain character traits that are forming inside of you, and certain qualities are growing and others are shrinking. Who are you becoming? What are you full of? 
Jesus says it's not hard to tell. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said, well, you just look. Yeah, you can identify them by their fruit, the way they act. You can identify a tree by its fruit, and in the same way you can identify people by their actions. That's just the way it is. So what fruits are coming out of your life? Because it tells the story of who you're becoming and, and what you're really full of. And so Jesus says, I, I want to give you some help. I want you to be able to live a life that looks like me because he had it all together, if you will. And he says, I'm going to have to give you some help. So he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit to come live within us. So when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you this gift. And it's this inner voice, this guide, this friend, this comforter, this counselor, this convictor of our souls that's inside of us. And as we walk in the Spirit, say yes to the Spirit, try to follow the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, move where the nudge comes from. All of that says you'll be filled with me, Jesus says, enough to the place where you're going to have this love coming out of you and it's going to look really, really beautiful. In fact, we call it the fruit of the Spirit of God coming out of your life and mine. It's possible, Jesus says. It's found in Galatians chapter 5 is where that famous list, the whole, the, the principles are all through the Bible, but Galatians 5 is where we're drilling down a little bit. And remember last week we gave the analogy of where Paul says, you know, it's like when you're driving a car and it just wants, it's out of alignment, it wants to just pull and veer to the left. You've got to keep your hands on the wheel. If you don't, it just goes, and he says, you've got desires in you, and we all do, that, that have kind of gotten broken by sin. So, so if you let go of the wheel, it's, if you just do what you want to do and what feels right and what you just, it feels good, you're going to end up in a bad place. He says the fruit of that kind of spirit, where you just go with your flesh and your sinful desires, it's going to lead to a place that you don't want to be. And some of us know exactly that from experience. But when we let the Holy Spirit into our lives, and He can kind of help us take the wheel and, and lead us in a totally different direction. So in verse 22, He says, but the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit in our lives. So let's read this together as we uh, read through here. We're going to start here with the word love, which we looked a little bit at last week. And I'm going to encourage you to, maybe you'll want to write this down or put it up on your phone or read this three times a day, memorize this list. Everyone, by the end of our time together, should have this list memorized because it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of Christ alive in us. You ready? Let's read it together. Ready? What's the list? Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kind of things that there is no law against. So in light of that list, think again, where are you going? Is that who you're becoming? Is that what you're full of? So last week, we talked about some of the learnings that this passage taught us, and then we looked at the list, and we started in on the first one, love, and then we talked about some things that would help us just live it out in a really practical way, and I hope that was helpful to you. We're going to do the same thing this week. Start with the learnings, and then look at the list, and this week we'll go to the second one, which is joy, and then we'll get some real practical stuff about how we live it out, okay? That's where we're headed. So... Let's review some of the learnings from last week just very, very quickly. If you didn't hear it, you're going to have to go back and catch it all. But number one, we said in light of this teaching in this passage, we have to admit we have a problem because there's a version of American Christianity that doesn't look like those fruit at all. Like a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, and they check the box about what they believe, but Jesus says, no, 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 show me the fruit. And if that's us, we just have to admit, man, I, we need more of Jesus. 
The second thing we had as a learning was that the Christian life ain't easy. Paul actually describes it as like a battle. He says it's not easy. Now it's more beautiful, it's fulfilling, it's wonderful, there's joy in it as we're going to see, but it doesn't mean it's easy. And in fact, if you try to win it on your own strength, your desires are too strong and you'll lose. But you don't have to because God's going to send a spirit to help us. And that's the third learning is that the spirit can help us find true freedom. This is the way to true freedom. Our society doesn't understand freedom. Our society will tell us over and over and over again, do what you need to do. Do what feels good to you. Do what your desires are telling you to do because that is ultimate freedom. I'm free. I don't have anyone constraining me, blah, blah, blah. And you know what? And, and, and it ends up, the Bible says, that will absolutely lead you to bondage. And if you want to really be free, you got to be free in Jesus and, and just surrender to him and trust him enough to say, I will make you free indeed by surrendering some of the selfish desires to his love from inside. And number four, the learning we, we learned last time was that everybody really wants this. The fruit of the Spirit is a great answer for a world that's just stuck in a rut of nasty mush. There's so much ugly fruit that everybody's sick of. That's why we're so mean to each other, I think. We're sick of what we're seeing. And the Bible says you don't have to live that way. You can have love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's add a couple more learnings. One, if you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it's going to take two things. It's going to take God's gift and your grit. Okay? You say, well, I want, I want, I'd love to have more love, joy, peace, patience in my life. How do I do that? Is that like a God thing where he does it, or is it like where I do it? And the answer is exactly. Yes. That. It's both. And the Bible makes it, it pretty clear. It's a gift of grace from God, but it requires work and effort. If you've ever had a garden, everyone understands how this works, Right? If you've ever talked to a farmer, right, we, we all know there's no end to the work that needs to be done. The weeding, the cultivating, oh, I hate it. It's horrible. It's all there. It's got to keep happening. But you also know there's so much that's beyond your control. I mean, the farmer can't make the seed sprout or the sunshine or the rain fall, right? That's all God stuff beyond your control. But you can't just sit back and say, well, you know, I'm going to just watch and see what happens. If you do that, you're not going to have any results. It's grace and effort, it's gift and work. The farmer used to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray like everything depends on God, but I'm going to work like everything depends on me. And that's a pretty good combination for how you could think about spiritual growth and life in your own life. If you want to see real change in your life, it might be that you're sort of forgetting one of these. If you feel stuck or like this fruit is not really evident in your life, it might be because you're forgetting either God's gift or your grit. Like maybe you're trying to do it all yourself and you can't will your way into a list like that with any kind of consistency. Your desires are too strong and you're just not that good. You need to invite the presence of Jesus to say, will you help take the wheel and Lead me. I need the, we need the love of Christ in us to do this. This is supernatural. This isn't natural at all. It's, it's unnatural. So maybe you need to invite more of God in. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're like, I want more of those fruit. Okay, God, do it. And you're just living 
getting tugged along by the spirit of the age and wondering why the fruit of the spirit of God is not in you. Another learning is this, that the fruit of the spirit is a package deal. There's nine of these items on the list and they come together. Paul, you maybe noticed, he doesn't talk about the fruits of the Spirit. What does he say? He calls them fruit. Now, is that a, was that a grammatical error? Because he lists nine different things. No, he's not mistaken. He knows exactly what he's doing because these aren't separate virtues. When God comes inside of us, all of this fruit comes out on the same tree. If Jesus is alive in you, all this stuff will appear. So, for example... This is why we need to think about the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and maybe just our personality or our temperament. If a person is just slow moving, you know, or uh, not rattled by stuff or very stoic, we might say, oh, they're so patient. Well, maybe. But if they don't have any joy or kindness, that's probably not the fruit of the Spirit at all. It's probably just their personality. Where Jesus is, the fruit will grow as one, we're told. You'll be more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, all of it kind of together. I've heard it said you're really only as mature as your least or your most immature fruit. So I find this challenging. I'm looking at my life thinking through that list, and I'm thinking which one is probably the weakest for me, and that's an area where I probably need to surrender something to Christ. How about you? Which one is the weakest for you? How could you welcome Christ into that area more? Well, those are some learnings. Now let's look at the list. The list we began with last week starts with what? Love. What's next? Joy. Joy. That's the second virtue listed. Now remember, love tops the list, and we made the point that it's not just one of the nine virtues. It's really all of them are love, and the other eight just really amplify and magnify and demonstrate what Christ-like love looks like in us. So, and, and we defined love by, by saying biblical love is other-focused rather than selfie-focused. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that someone has defined joy coming out of that other-focused way of thinking with those three letters standing for, you know, J-O-Y. You've maybe heard this, right? A simple way to remember this is it stands for Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. And this is a mystery of joy because the more focused you are on yourself and trying to make yourself happy, it seems like the more elusive it is, the less happy we tend to be. But the more we lose our lives in Christ and trust Him, and then He leads us to sort of serve and focus on others, the more joy tends to come to us. Jesus, others, yourself. Let's unpack joy. Um, everybody wants to be happy, right? You like hanging around grumpy people? If you had a choice between like having a family member or a workmate or a neighbor who's like really just a jerk and a grump all the time or someone who's really just joyful, which would you choose? Like that's not even a question. We love joy. We, we want more of it. We want it. And you don't have to tell someone to go get it. Any more than I have to tell my dog to eat his food. I put that down. He's like, he just gets it, gets after it. And you don't have to teach anyone to want joy. It's in our DNA because we're created by a God who is a joyful God. And we have that nature in us. But I have to be really honest. I got a problem with joy. Maybe you do too. Because I, I, I want joy. And sometimes 
I feel like I have joy. Like sometimes, you know, I, I've been visiting my parents recently in Minnesota, and uh, I, I, you know, they're old enough, I don't even care what they eat anymore. Used to kind of say, watch your diet. Now they're like 94. I'm like, whatever. So I just go and I, I get them uh, jelly-filled donuts. And, and uh, you, you take that thing up there and you, you, just, you take one bite and it just goes everywhere. I love it. There, there, are, there are times when I actually feel that way with joy. Like, there, what would, you know, that there's that much joy in, inside of us. But, you know, there are other times when it's not so much the case. But what's really tempting for me as a preacher is to stand up and find a few verses that say, be joyful, and then heap a bunch of guilt on y'all and say, now go out and act more joyful. Don't be sad. Put a smile on. You're Christians after all. Everybody, don't worry, be happy. Amen. Let's go home. Don't worry, be happy. I love that song, but in my experience, as much as I want more joy, I just sometimes am not joyful. I feel very sober sometimes, and I get too tired or grumpy or focused or ticked off or just not very joyful, and he's like, oh, it's one of those donuts with nothing in it. Now, sometimes joy shows up, a lot of times unannounced, like, surprise, how'd you get here? Joy's here. Oh, where'd that come from? And it's like, where'd he go? In and out. So I struggle with this joy. And then Scripture comes along, and it commands it. That doesn't seem fair. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, be joyful always. How about this one? Philippians 4, read it with me. I'm going to make you read it. I don't want to read it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You punch the alarm clock and you stagger to the bathroom. Your hair is matted down. Your breath is bad. Your joints ache. You, 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 you're, you, you, you miss the toilet. You go into the shower finally open your eyes as the water just beats down on your back and that's when it comes back to you, the deadline that you have no idea how you're going to make and that conversation with your sister-in-law when she stormed out and the unpleasant thing that you have going on in your finances right then and all of this stuff, you step out of there, you're drying off and you find a look in the mirror and there on top of your shoulders you see a 67 pound weight of burden and concern. Do you ever struggle just to be joyful with life? How much joy do you have in your life right now? Be honest. What's coming out of the donut? If you pictured yourself as a, to change pastries, a gingerbread man or woman, a hollow little figure like that, how full of joy would your life be? Like, would it come up to the ankle? The knees? The neck? How can we be more joyful? Well, it's interesting, uh, some of these brain studies, they're saying laughter connects the joy sometimes. A lot of people think, you know, we just need to laugh more. 
And it is one of God's best gifts. You know, when you just hear someone like a baby or somebody just laughing their heads off, it's hard not to laugh. It's contagious, isn't it? It's one of the reasons that we're bringing in Michael Jr. in a couple of weeks. Because we just need to laugh more. We just need to be happier people. And I can remember so many times at the family dinner table, somebody snorts or says something dumb or we get slap happy. You know how it gets. You just get silly. And before long, someone's, you know, snorting milk out their nose and everyone's dying, falling off the chairs and all that stuff. A proverb says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. And it's true. But as great as laughter is, you know, it doesn't last. It doesn't remain. It doesn't, laughter doesn't abide. The next night at the dinner table, someone's grumpy or in a foul mood and nobody wants to be there. Is there a joy that remains and abides that's, that's something deeper and some more substantive when laughter exits, do you suppose? Or some people pursue happiness and joy by just trying to grab a hold of some happy feelings or experiences, or things, because, not going to lie, some of that stuff feels pretty good. And it can bring some temporary happiness. And sometimes I think we get so convinced that real joy is not even attainable that we've just kind of settled like the world has settled for a bunch of temporary fleeting pursuits of happiness. Well, those feelings, sometimes they can be real gifts from God, too. I think of so many great, joyful experiences. I think of my kids running through the sprinkler as a kid. Ellie, little kid with a swimsuit on, you know, just drenched and grass clippings sticking to her legs, looking at me one time, just look up. She goes, Daddy, this is so fun. And, and we've all had that moment in life where it's whatever. And, and it's why we buy stuff. Some of us. It's why we go on new vacations and try new experiences and taste new foods and try to find new friends or have dalliances or, or seek pleasure or, or all this stuff. But those feelings, are, they're like intermittent wipers. It's there and then all of a sudden it stops. It might come back, but it stops. And any insult or injury can just jeopardize the whole thing and your happiness vanishes. Is that what joy is like? Is it temporary? Is it fragile and fleeting Is our daily moods? What we need, y'all, and we know this, what we crave, what we were built for is a, a joy that is bigger than laughter and stronger than feelings and not tethered to our circumstances, something that will really remain and abide and stick with us. Are you with me? Are you hungry for that? Because we've got to decide if we want to walk in the Spirit or just keep chasing temporary, earthly, momentary satisfaction because there's a big difference. How can we be more joyful? Well, Scripture talks about a deep joy that is way more than happiness. A well-being that's deeply seated in our souls, that finds its, finds its identity in the core of who God is. A joyful God who calls us to find our joy in Him and what He's done for us. And to reflect that joy with each other in a joyful kind of different community. And invite others to find and know God in this same community. And when that happens, the Bible says that all the angels in heaven above, they rejoice and we start all over. Paul says it's one of the fruit of the Spirit for this reason. It comes from God. When the Spirit gets a little bit of foothold in your life, you're going to find joy coming out of your life. And I think Jesus was making this very point when he said to us, I want you to grab a hold of joy in a permanent way. And this is in John 15. He says, you know, I'm like, you're like a branch, and I'm like the vine, like the main trunk of the tree. And what you need to do is you need to 
take your branch and graft it into me, like connect it permanently, like that's how you're going to find your sustenance in real life. I'm the one true vine. You can go to hook up to other vines if you want, but you're not going to find what you're really looking for. You're going to have the wrong fruit. Verse, verse 4, Jesus says, so remain in me. Connect to me and stay there. Have a relationship with me, and I will remain in you. We'll become like connected. We'll, 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 you'll have good fruit come out of your life. He says it over and over again. Remain in me. I'll remain in you. Stay connected to me. Why does he repeat all that? Well, he tells us in verse 11, he says, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete, full. May you, you may be joy full. You may be a jelly donut kind of joy, like a, like a little gingerbread person all the way up to the tippy top of your head. And this is a key that a lot of people don't understand about joy, is that this is the source of joy, by being connected to Christ. Some, a lot of people think it's in here. This is what our society is trying to teach us. Oh, you'll, you just need to be true to your real self, and you'll be fulfilled and happy, and you'll, you'll find ultimate joy, and it's a lie. It, it's empty. And of course, we've got to love ourselves and be accustomed to, to, to understanding you know, that, that we've got to be at peace with ourselves and, that, and, and, and so forth. But, but the idea that you're going to find what you're really looking for by looking inside, this is one of the great weaknesses of the Eastern religions, if I might say. It tells us that what's, what we really want is going to come from within. And it's not true, friend. It's not true. Joy is not found in here. You want it in there, and it can get in there, but you don't start by going in there to look for it. Most Americans, that's why we go on a rabid search out there, because <laughs> we found that to be true. We know there's a hollow in us inside of us that, that can't manufacture it, so we go looking for comfort and joy and, and, and happiness and success and fun and adventure and family and, 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 and all this stuff, and I, I wish you all the best success, but none of it will ultimately buoy you up in the tough times. None of it will be a joy that will last when crisis hits. I think that's why we saw in COVID that so many people fell apart and realized they weren't happy because the version of what they called joy was tethered to their circumstances. Circumstances got really bad. And they weren't happy anymore. The truth is, joy is not out there either. Joy is not in here. It's not out there. You know where it is? Joy is in Christ. That's what Jesus says. Tether to me. Hook up to me. You've got to connect to me. Joy has got to be downloaded from God in a relationship with Christ. And if you remain in me, get my spirit in you, you will guide you and you will have the fruit. You want to, you want to have joy? You've got to have Jesus. So joy, it doesn't mean people who don't have Jesus can't be happy or have moments, but they'll never have the ultimate and eternal joy that the Bible describes, which is really what we're created for. So joy is that thing, spells out J-O-Y, well maybe instead of Jesus, others, and you, that works, but maybe really what we should put there is this, like J stands for Jesus and Y stands for you, and the, the middle one is really a zero, to remind us that joy happens when nothing comes between you and Jesus. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. Abide in me and I will abide in you. I will hold on to you. I will not let you go. This is a love that will not forsake you. When you have that love, you can have real joy even in the midst of really difficult things. If your joy is running low, let me ask you a question. Is there something that's come between you and Jesus? 
I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone or whatever, but sometimes it's just simply we become too busy or we're not connected in a community with other believers or we're not attending worship with enough um, regularity to really feed our souls. We've got to stay connected. C.S. Lewis says, God cannot even give us a happiness and a peace and a joy apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing, he says. So real joy is about your connection to Christ. And I'm just, I'm just learning this in a practical way. When I get offended by somebody or upset with my wife or something happens and it robs my joy, I focus on that issue. And what it does is it starts feeding all of my self-pity and self-righteousness and all this stuff and all that. And what I'm doing is it's just driving me apart from Jesus. My issue isn't with my wife, really, most of the time. It's not with you or some other thing. What's my problem? My problem is I got disconnected from Jesus. What we need is a close connected to Jesus. And when we do that, the joy always comes. It doesn't make the problem just solve instantly, but it does bring the joy. And there will still be hard times. There will be tears and there will be trouble. You'll have fender benders and headaches and all the bad stuff that happens and bad bosses and health problems and kids that don't act right and a house that falls apart and people will disappoint and mistreat you and you'll still get acne and sorrow and death and all that stuff. But through it all, Jesus will remain and abide. And there's your joy. And he isn't going anywhere. So tether your joy to Jesus. It's not in here. It's not out there. It's in him. Nehemiah 8 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, let me just give you a few practical things, okay? You ready for just a couple of practical things that will help us live this out? It's the last L of the day. Let me give you a couple. Number one, when it comes to joy, don't wait for it to arrive at your door. Choose it. Do it. Does that make sense? We waste so much time living under the illusion that our lack of happiness is due to someone's fault or the result of some crummy deal we got in life or that day. And we become these chronically unhappy people, almost not aware that we're not just unhappy in that moment. That's who we're becoming. Because we just keep living in this perpetual illusion that, oh, someday it'll all change and I'll be happy in this moment. What if we just latched on to this verse? Okay, everyone write this down. If you don't have it, take a picture of the screen. Psalm 118.24. Psalm 118.24. Some of you know this one. Uh, but let's just say it together. You ready? Here, say, it, say it like you mean it here. Ready? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I love that. This is the day. Like today, not tomorrow when it gets better. This is the day. Who made it? The Lord. He gave it to us. So we're going to rejoice. We're going to make a choice. And today is the day we're going to do that. Because of who God is, because of who we are in his name, we've got to stop thinking joy comes when conditions change someday. Someday. No. We go to school, we think, well, maybe someday when I graduate, I'll have more happiness. And then we graduate, and we say, well, maybe if I'm single, I say, well, I'll get, I'll get happier when, when I get married. And then we get married, so well, maybe, maybe someday when I have kids, I'll be happier. And then we have kids, we think, well, maybe someday when the kids get out of the house, I'll be happier. And then they leave the house, and they all talk about, well, I wish my kids were back home. And then they come back home, and you go, I wish they would leave again. It goes on and on and on like that. This is the day. The Lord has made. Right here, right now, the life you have is, 
is where that scripture applies to. God made a day like today, not tomorrow. And Christ's death has redeemed it. His love is reaching out to you. And if you are ever going to know joy, you got to know it in this day, not someday. This day. What about all the pain? What about all the suffering? What about my crummy circumstances? What about my life? What about all the injustice and the hunger and the violence and all that rejoice? Yes, 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 a thousand times, yes. Don't you get it? We all, we got to get this. Precisely in this pain-filled, miserable, this is the world Jesus came to who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He demonstrated it. That's the spirit of Christ we want in us. It's where we're going to find joy, and it's often people who are closest to Christ and closest to suffering who have the most joy because they've stopped tethering it to some kind of pleasurable feeling that goes off and on like intermittent wipers. We've got to decide if we believe the gospel. If we don't rejoice today, we're not going to rejoice at all. So don't wait for conditions to get better or you to have more stuff. This is the day. Declare it with me one more time. Let's put it up on the screen. You make it a promise and a pledge and a declaration. Psalm 118, 24. Let's read it together. Are you ready with some gusto, everybody at home, all of our campuses? Let's read it together. Ready? This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a choice. It doesn't mean you fake it. It means you cling to Christ. Number two, look for joy in the midst of your hard things. This is what makes Christian joy really unique and different than what the world can offer us. Because the world says real joy is the absence of bad things. If I can just get rid of my distractions and some nasty stuff and some pain, I'll be happy. And the Christian version of joy says, oh, no, 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 no. In this world, there's going to be lots of trouble. You'll never have that. You might have a moment, but that, no, no, no. The Bible says... It's not the absence of the bad things. It's the presence of something you really do want, which is God himself who says, I've got you. I'll never leave or forsake you. So if that's true, it means that suffering and pain are not incompatible. Suffering and pain and joy, that is, are not incompatible. The Bible talks all about people who suffered, but who knew that it wasn't the last word. We can find joy in the midst of suffering. You're probably going through something hard right now. We all are. What if, instead of dealing with it the ways that we sometimes tend to, what if we just thought about James 1, 2, which challenges us, consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kind, which sounds like nonsensical poppycock, but there it is in the Bible. Or what if we thought about Romans 5, 3? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Hard stuff can make you bitter, but the Bible says it can make you better. There was a, there was a man who found this uh, emperor moth and he took it home to watch it. Um, it was in a cocoon and he, and he was going to watch it emerge. And eventually there was a little tiny opening and the, the thing worked several hours and struggled and struggled and struggled to try to ascend its body. And it just seemed to kind of almost give up at some point. It couldn't seem to get past that certain point. And the man thought, well, something's wrong. I want to help. And so he took a little scissors and he snipped a little bit of the remaining cocoon to make it a little easier for the guy to get out. And sure enough, that, that little moth did emerge. And it had this large swollen body and these little shriveled 
up wings. And he kind of expected, well, the wings are going to kind of spread to their natural beauty and his body will take shape eventually, but it never did. Because instead of developing into the creature that it was meant to be and to fly about, it spent its life dragging around a swollen body and limp, shriveled wings. Why? Because the difficult cocoon experience was shortchanged. And that struggle to pass through that opening is, is God's way of moving the fluid out from the body into the wings. It needed it to grow and to develop. And that merciful snip was really a cruel thing and robbed that creature of what it was meant to become. None of us likes to admit it, but that's the way life works. The struggle is sometimes exactly what we need. And even when you're in the cocoon, it doesn't always feel great, but you can rejoice knowing that God's going to use it. You won't waste that experience. So find a way, as the Bible promises, to make, to make us more like Christ if we surrender that to him. Malcolm Muggeridge said when he was 75 years old, I've looked back and I've realized that everything in my life that was painful and desolate has enhanced my existence. And if it were possible to eliminate affliction from our earthly existence, I would never want to do it because the result would be a life with no joy. So you might be going through something hard right now. I just encourage you to try to entrust it to the Lord. I don't believe he's causing all the hard things that happen to us, but I know he can use them all. What if you tried to find joy in the middle of it? Let me just give you one last thing, super practical. I think one of the real keys to joy is gratitude. The Bible teaches this. And I think we just need to do everything we can to try to be more grateful. So what if we just tried to cultivate and express gratitude better this week? Would anyone be up for that experiment? Just I, I can promise you, if you will do a better job this week, and I'm going to try my best, instead of grumping and griping, I'm going to do my best to think about my blessings and count them up and note them and be grateful. And when you do that, it feeds your contentment, which is connected immediately to your joy. The most joyful People are the most grateful people because we recognize God's presence and blessing. And friends, you realize this is why trillions of dollars are spent in advertising, bombarding you with messages constantly to convince you that your life is inadequate, you do not have enough, you need something you don't have that you didn't even know you needed 10 minutes ago, but now you must have it. And to send you on an endless frenzied pursuit to have it, to attain it, to get more, to get bigger, to fill the empty void inside of us so we will never stop and actually think about what real joy is. So what if we just said, I'm going to stop and I'm going to beat all that down by just being grateful? Could you just name? You could do the, you could do the old alphabet of, of gratitude. I like to do that one. You just start with A. I'm grateful for Andrew, my son. B, I'm grateful for some of my best friends that teach me truth and I can have a good time with. C, I'm grateful for chocolate. I mean, God kind of invented that, although milk chocolate, not dark chocolate. That's from the devil. <laughs> D, you can go through the whole alphabet. Write it down. Pray it at the dinner table. Do it in the car. You will find it changing your heart. Reflect and begin. Can I also get you just to reflect on how you end or begin your day? Let's think about how you begin your day. 
Let me just, I'm going to go right out there. I'm guilty as charged here, but a lot of us, way too many of us, the first thing we're doing is we're grabbing that stupid phone that was the last thing you looked at before you went to bed, and it's the first thing you look at when you get up. And we're saying, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be God. But you can't live that way if the first thing is you're looking at the Dow Jones and all the bad news, and there's nothing on Facebook that will edify your day and ground your being and lift your sights and help you think about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Nothing on social media will help you do that. Like the word of God or a moment of quiet where you just count your blessings. What if we just went to bed and said, I'm going to name A through Z of what I'm thankful for. And wake up and do the same or say, thank you, Jesus, for a brand new day and leave the phone for at least, can you do it for 15 minutes? You'll see a change. Let's pray. God, we thank you for sending your spirit to help us and love us and guide us. We thank you for Jesus, the beautiful example who had so many hard things in his life, but yet he had joy, and now he wants to fill us with his joy. So help us to be more grateful. Help us to try to find joy in the hard things of our lives. And in all of it, Lord, just fill us like a jelly donut with your joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.